Hey everyone, welcome to Who's Training Who, episode two. I'm Tom. I'm Allie. And this podcast is all about dogs. We talk training, behavior, give tips and tricks, and talk to people who do cool things with dogs or for them. We hope that listening to this podcast, we can help you have a better relationship with your dog and any dog you meet in life. On today's episode, we are gonna talk about dog body language, learned helplessness. We're gonna to talk to Carrie Birchfield with Safe Humane. And our ask a trainer question is, what to do about chewing, like on furniture and other things that we don't want them to chew on, what causes it, and how can we curtail it? We also have Milo in the room, who is chewing on a bone and probably is going to be making noise throughout the whole episode. So, Allie, how'd you feel after doing episode one? Good. I'm glad glad we got episode one under our belts here. That's right. I just, I'm glad I got some of the nervousness out of there and we got it. I figured out how to edit, to upload everything. Like, that's just passed and we can move on and talk about dogs. Let's get to our first topic, which is body language, which I think a lot of pet parents don't know. Agreed. Something that we're gonna reference while we're talking about this is the canine ladder of regression. I'm gonna put it in the notes um, so you can look at it if you want to. I'm gonna go through it right now. So what the canine ladder, ladder of aggression is, is it shows you from, would it be like a dog just sort of being uncomfortable to then wanting to go for a bite? Yeah, so um, generally kind of how I explain the ladder of aggression is that the green, which is the lower rungs, is more like our dog whispering, and then it kind of leads to talking, and then there's some louder talking, and then there's yelling. We don't want to get to even the louder talking part. You know, we don't want to get out of the green if we can help it. Right. So for people who may have never seen it, um, you can Google it too if you don't want to look in the show notes. Um, but basically what it shows is in the green part at the first rung, is blinks, yawns, and licks nose. And then the next rung goes turns head away. As we go up farther, it's turns body away, sits, pause. We start entering the orange zone in walks away. The next rung is um, creeps or ears back. More orange is stands crouch, tucks tails under. As we get higher, lies down, legs up. as we're getting towards the red, it's stiffens, stares. Then we have in the red is growls, snaps, and then the top rung is when a dog actually bites. And so I guess for me and what I learned in the last two years of studying dogs and learning about dog body language is that when a dog bites, I'm going to say 99% of the time, and maybe I'm wrong on this, a dog bites out of fear. Like dogs aren't there might be some dogs that maybe don't are actually angry or no. Generally dogs bite out of fear. Um, the only time we may see a dog not biting out of fear is potentially guarding a resource where it's, I want to keep that and you can't have it. But is that still based on fear of someone taking it away? I guess technically. Yeah. So let's talk about, those stories we hear were on the news and people like the dog was, we were having a great time. And then all of a sudden the dog bit us. So how does something like that happen? I mean, besides us as people not knowing what the signal are that the dog is doing, do people do things inadvertently to stop a dog from being able to tell us what's going on? 
Yeah. So um, let's first, you know, dive really, really, really into body language. And, um, you know, I'll do my best to explain it without visuals, obviously. Um, but of course, you know, referring back to the, the ladder of aggression, um, there's plenty of materials out there that you can view. Um, something I do myself is go on YouTube and just watch dogs playing videos because it's really good to watch good body language. And it's really good to even see play that goes wrong and, you know, slow those videos down and see what you can see. I mean, if you're going to be working with dogs or even have, you know, more than one dog in a home, or if you're, your dogs interacting with other dogs out in public, you need to be well-versed on body language, not only your own dog's body language, but being able to tell you know, what, what that other dog is saying as well, because our dogs are constantly communicating. I always like that, um, meme that goes around Facebook that says that, um, dogs do talk, but you have to know how to listen or only right. to those who listen or, yeah. or whatever it is. Um, you know, and, and it's not that hard to listen. People just haven't learned how to yeah, listen. Yeah. Cause humans are more visual talkers or not yeah well we can we can talk with our mouths and and dogs don't know how to do that obviously um right so we're going to put some links in that Allie is talking about maybe some of her favorite videos to watch to see good body to whatever body language to see what we're going um so you know our dogs are constantly communicating with us whether we're paying attention or not um unfortunately some of those dogs probably have been trained not to do those signs some dogs kind of that's genetically how they are unfortunately now are we talking more the higher rung or or any of them any of them um you know most people refer to don't punish the growl which is a great 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 thing to talk about but um you know we don't want to punish them doing the the slow creep or even the freeze we don't want to punish them licking their lips or um the full-on tongue over the nose flick um some people today when i was driving from my client and she passed two dogs who were walking and then i saw her immediately smacking the dog repeatedly because the dog was barking at the other dogs so probably not do that either yeah no no don't don't punish any behavior i mean obviously we've talked about how we're all positive reinforcement but you know don't don't punish any behavior that your dog gives you you're losing valuable information that your dog is trying to tell you right. if you're telling them no don't growl don't bark don't lunge um i mean we can train other behaviors instead or make sure that they're comfortable so they don't have to get to that point but we want those signs we want those signals right you know i like that my fearful dog gives off fear signals i don't have to let her get any louder than a head turn and a paw lift you know and i don't want to put her in those positions so i say okay yep sasha did a head turn and a paw lift in this circumstance let's not put her in that circumstance again um you know with with chunk she's not so great at the middle signals yeah um but she will give you know she'll yawn she'll she'll lick her lips um and i try to pull her out of situations then yeah um obviously i try to pull all dogs out of every situation then but again you know yeah chunk doesn't growl so i really can't let her get past the other situations yeah i had a um I made a Facebook post about it the last bunch of days. Um, been working with a dog who really territorial about his house, has trouble letting people in his house, doesn't like people, c- couldn't grab the leash, couldn't do anything with them. And I felt bad because you talked about you don't ever want to let your dog 
you know, a dog get to the point, you know, getting higher up on that aggression. But, you know, I just, you know, and I wish you were there to help me out with this because it was really hard. I was trying to do positive things with him by not getting too close, giving him his distance, especially in the first couple of days. It took about six days before I could grab the leash, even though he still lets me know that he is not comfortable with it. He tolerates me, but he's very vocal about, I don't want to do it. But the whole time, I'm glad I learned about body language because I was seeing the whale eye. I was seeing the teeth. I was seeing the snarl. I was seeing, he never, he never did snip me, but he did. There's a couple times where like, it was the weirdest thing. The one time that was really, really close was this was after I got a hold of the leash and I was coming in and uh, he ripped up papers. And so I'm like, okay, after the walk, I'll clean it up. And so he, he has this thing where he runs to the bedroom and he hangs out um, there. And so I knelt down to pick up the, pap the papers that were torn and he got right in my face <laughs> with a little bit more uh, voice than that, that was just there. But um, he was right in my face and like you could feel his breath on me of just, he was so uncomfortable. Like there was whale eye teeth, everything. Like that's the only time I was ever like truly terrified of like, I'm gonna get bit. You know, like, and it was scary, like the whole, the whole time. And, you know, the, you know, the owner was very great about working with me and understanding what I was doing, you know? Um, yeah, I know. I know, buddy. Hi. You want to come get Pat? Come here. Come here. Come on. I don't have treats, but, but anyway, so through the whole process, I, it was great to know body language. Cause I could tell when, you know, even now the, you know, the owner's like, oh, you guys aren't best friends. And I'm like, Oh, no, no, no. We are not even close to being best friends. Like he still does not. Every time I enter, it's it's like what you think of a dog that's ready to attack. That's what he's looking like. He does back up and he lets me in, but he's very good at this dog has for being we don't know his history, but for being as scared as he is, he is great at letting me know that he is not comfortable. Yeah. And, you know, that's where we, we get ourselves into trouble is when people don't know that body language or don't care to listen to that body language. Um, you know, a lot of owners get in the mentality of, you know, because they've built up that trust account with their own personal dog that, oh, I can do it to them. Oh, I can do it to them. And you, you get that a lot, you know, oh, I can trim my dog's nails. Oh, I can look at my dog's teeth. You know, I like to explain to a lot of clients that, we don't just want our dog to be fine. We don't just want them to let us do it. We want them to be happy about it. Um, you've probably seen my um, videos of my recent uh, counter conditioning for Hunk's foot soak. Yeah, um, which is a great thing to watch. And I'm glad, I'm glad that you explained some of the struggles you have too. Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, I just feel like a lot of trainers don't give us that view of like, you know what, it didn't work this way. So we had to try something else. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, the, the first, you know, the foot soak was going great. And then while well, the foot in the bowl was yeah. going great. And then he decided that as soon as even a drop of water was in there, he wasn't going to do it. Yeah. Um, and he was being very, very clear. I mean, he wasn't giving off stress signals or anything. Yeah, he was just showing that he was He was like, nah, I'm good. I'm yeah. not going to stick my foot in that bowl. One of the times he actually drank the whole bowl of water <laughs> and then put his foot in yeah. there. And I was like, that's creative. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> we're going to have to change this. Yeah. And then when I changed the criteria, I had to change my criteria as well. So we, when we got it up into the bathtub, 
I mean, first I had to counter condition him to the bathtub because he was giving me a lot of stress signals. And I was like, I'm not pushing you. If you want to come, you know, look in the bathtub, spray cheese happens. If you want to paw at the bathtub, spray cheese happens. You know, yeah. any steps towards getting into the so bathtub. So why do you choose spray cheese as opposed to like just normal Cheese is Hunk's favorite. Got it. Um, and especially if I'm doing continuous reinforcement, like in the situation where I'm getting him to hold his foot in the bowl. Yeah. It's just easier. It's just, yeah, yeah. got it. Um, that, that's his high value. Trait. Yeah. Yeah. And again, when I brought, um, because I, I don't know if I posted this video or not, but I did bring actual chunks of cheese in there okay. and um, he kept dropping them and yeah. then I was fishing them out of the water and they were uh, all gross, gross. Yeah, and yeah. he was still happy to eat them. But yeah. I was like, okay, this I, is slimy I, yeah, and then I, I I'd end up dropping it. it again. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, spray cheese is just easier. Um, but you know, again, I'm creating a dog that's happy to yeah. do these things. It's something that has to get done. But because I took four days to make sure he was happy about it, I mean, I literally, I had to leave my house at 8 a.m. this morning. I had to get three dogs outside, three dogs fed, um, you know, got up, started that whole process. And I was like, I really want to get your foot soaked done in the morning because I've been doing it in the evening. Yeah. I was like, we're getting it done this morning. I have to be out of the house by 8 o'clock. It's 7.45 at this point, And we're done in six minutes. Wow. So, you know, he had to soak for five. Yeah. Six minutes. Yeah. From so how long every day down. would you work with him to get to that point? Um, just a couple minutes each day. Okay. I would just kind of sit down and do the exercise with the bowl whenever I had the chance. Yeah. Um, and then. So you weren't like spending half hour, an hour no, at no, a time. No, no. That would stuff. end up stressing him out. You know, yeah. it was just quick. Here it is. Get lots of cheese. Put the exercise away. Quick. Get lots of cheese. Got it. Put the exercise okay. away. Good. Yeah. But, you know, again, I don't have those stress signals anymore. Yeah. He doesn't have to get to that point. He doesn't yeah. have to be unhappy. He's. He's happy. Yeah. <laughs> there is spray cheese happening. <laughs> yeah. So is it true that, and this was in my studies, it was said that, I think it was in my studies, maybe it was just something I read in webinars or something like that, or heard in webinars, but that even though we said the ladder of regression, we explained how it goes from bottom to top, it doesn't always go in that sequence. Like you could have, you know, turning your head away and then all of a sudden the dog bites. It's just, it's, it's kind of like Tetris where... The puzzles are fitting together and it's never the same thing twice. So even if at one time the dog does this, 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 and then a bite, it doesn't mean the next time that it's going to happen that way. It's just kind of, it's situational and whatever the triggers are is what adds up to a dog possibly biting. Well, and so generally, again, we're not, most dogs don't just bite out of nowhere. Yeah. But what happens is, so if we have a really well socialized puppy and then they grow up as an adult with parents that see the head turns and the lip licks and they say, okay, yep, yeah, let's call it a day when we see those. We're going to get a dog that's going to continue the lip licks and the yawning and that before they decide to bite. Um, because the bite is anything in the red is like a last resort. Like nothing yes. has worked up until now. Yes. I don't know what else to do to get whatever it is that's bothering me away. So that's what the bite is. The bite is trying to get whatever away. Well, and again, if we have a dog, you know, so for, for example, Sasha, my fearful one. Yeah. Because I respect those subtle signals, she doesn't ever have to get louder, but she also doesn't need to practice the other things. So that's another component that goes into it. 
if a dog practices biting, they don't have to practice those subtle signals anymore because, because the biting works. Yeah, the biting so works. So they learn the right. biting works. I don't want a dog to ever learn the biting oh, yeah, yeah. works. Right. Um, but again, if we've got a puppy that was well socialized, learned canine communication, never was ignored for the subtle things, they're never going to have to get to a bite. If they're ignored for the subtle things, they start talking louder and then a little louder. And then we've got a full on bite. You know, it's like all the videos you see with dogs and kids. Right. There are clear communications. And because those people have such a good trust account with that dog, they don't go straight to the bite. Right. But if that kid jumped on a stranger's dog, which again is another reason why we don't want to encourage our kids to jump on our own dogs because they can't do it to everybody's right. dogs. And you know, and that, I, that I, probably cost that dog its life, even though it's not that dog's fault. Right. And you know, I struggled with that with having young kids now where my daughter is, you know, our rescue who is amazing with her. Like, even though she's a typical kid and will do, you know, be like touch her in ways that and she's good. And our dog is very good at, you know, giving the lick lips, giving, you know, all that stuff that lets you know that, hey, I'm uncomfortable. I've taught my wife what those signals are so that we can get the kid, you know, our kid away. And, you know, it's it's been great. And we have a great relationship. Everybody's, you know, she still does her thing. We're like, OK, turn her head and just like leave me alone. I'm, you know, I'm OK. And it's great. And we all have a great, you know, I'm I still would never leave them alone be, ever. But. I don't have to be like on top of them the whole time. Yeah. And I mean, that's really education is key, which is, is, you know, great that we're bringing Carrie into this afternoon. Yeah. Cause that's, you know what it is. It's just no one teaches body language. And then when the, you know, they're taught after the bite yeah. happens. And, yeah. And that's, you know, like... most of these things could have been prevented um, because all we have to do is know how to communicate with our dogs. Right. And it's not, you know, you don't have to go study. You don't have to go to seminars and web and, you know, do webinars yeah. and spend money. You, you can literally research this stuff on the internet. I mean, most of, I don't believe and trust most of the things I find on the internet, yeah. but the body language stuff is it's pretty, pretty straightforward. Yeah. The next topic is um, learned helplessness. So explain what that is. So we kind of touched on it with, um, you know, the dog that goes straight into the biting. Um, learned helplessness happens when we, generally when we use punishment to suppress behaviors. Um, because what happens is, okay, I got punished for the growl. So that behavior is now suppressed. Um, I guess the most common and easy way to explain it would be the dog that is led up onto a cot. Okay. And um, when a dog is trained with punishment, when they go on the cot, basically what happens is anytime they go to move off the cot, they get a correction. Yeah. Um, whether that be a yank on a flat collar, a yank on a prong collar, or, or a shock. Yeah. Um, so the dog basically says, I'm just not gonna do anything else but lay here and it doesn't matter if they're working on fear aggression towards other dogs they are going to walk dogs around that dog and let him deal with it and again give him corrections. so he just says forget it i'm just going to lay here because nothing happens to me when i lay here and i'm glad you brought that up because you see that in a lot of board and drain places mm -hmm. that i see it online now and they're, they're like look at our dogs they're all laying on their you know on the on the beds or cots whatever they and are this is where learning body language is very important yeah and because if you see a dog who's been trained positively on a mat they are happy as can be to be laying there right you look at those dogs where there's 20 of them absolutely it looks impressive 
But those dogs are so stressed out and so scared to move that they're just going to lay there. Right. And is there a way to counter condition that if you get a dog that was trained that way and is helpless and it does is learned how to how to be like that? Is It definitely you... takes time. Got it. Um, and there's no guarantee in behavior. So I can't say yes, I can absolutely fix that dog that that is learned helplessness all over the place. Um, my fearful dog is displays a lot of learned helplessness. You know, again, we've been going to a fear-free vet for going on three or four years at this point. And year two, she finally started taking treats. Um, she's just kind of the dog that says, just do it. I'm, I'm done. I'm shutting down. And that's probably because whoever had her before I did just forced her to get things done. And that's, that's just what happened. And she was just like, go into learned helplessness mode. Just don't do anything. Yeah. I can't get hit if I don't do anything. Right. Or <laughs> whatever. Stand here. I won't get in trouble. So is there more of a risk for a dog that is learned, has learned helplessness, shut down, whatever, however you want to explain it. Is there more of a risk of that dog biting or is that dog so shut down that it just won't do it? Like no matter what comes at it, it won't do anything. Um, does that make sense? Well, that's kind of a, because again, we are using suppression and we are using punishment. Um, generally that's how learned helplessness is created. So there are studies that correlate aggression and, and punishment training. Um, so I would assume that yes, but again, I don't think it's just, yes, a dog and learn helplessness is going to snap faster. Um, yeah, but... I, I wasn't totally meaning faster, but is there more, is there more, more of a risk? Yeah. Is there more of a risk that because it's not showing anything that you could push it, push it, push it, or, you know, flood it, flood, I don't know the right word is what the writer is. And then, you know, you get to that point where the dog is just like, okay, whatever. I'm going to go bite because this is just too much now. I mean, eventually a dog will bite no matter what. Yeah. It doesn't matter if... How know, how shut yeah. down they are or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. If, it's if you push a dog far enough, it's going to snap it at some point. Um, okay. So I, again, I don't know if there are studies out there that say, you know, a dog in learned helplessness is more or less likely to bite at some point. Um, I suppose it depends when its last dose of suppressing suppressing behavior was, um, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, again, I think if you continue to push a dog that's in learned helplessness, I kind of always um, explain where my dog doesn't love, well, my fearful one doesn't like kids. I mean, not she doesn't not like them. She's not going to go run and attack a kid or anything. But if someone brings a child over to my house, she goes upstairs and she basically kind of looks at me on the staircase like, can you put that gate up? Because that kid's not coming up here, right? Yeah. And she'll just go up in my room and I usually just close the door just, you know. But again, if a, a kid put her in a corner. I don't think that she would not not bite. Yeah, because she's just she's cornered yeah, into something. She's and... gonna go learn helplessness, learn helplessness, and then she's gonna be like, "Well, <laughs> this is too way much. too scary at this yeah. point." And I'm given all these signals. You know, she's very clear about her communication. Yeah. I know she'll, she'll get lip licks first, paw lift, head turn. You know, she makes herself small. She'll freeze. She gives all of it before she. I mean, I've never heard her growl. I've never gotten her to that point. I don't ever want to get her to that point, but I've never heard her growl. I've never seen her air snap. Um, she just yeah. doesn't get to that point because she's like, I'm very clear with the rest of it and I'm very slow with the rest of it. And if you're not seeing this, then we'd have a problem. So with the learned helplessness, are there people that are misinterpreting that as being a trained dog? Absolutely. Is that more prevalent 
Is that, I don't know if that's the right word, but is that, is we're, are we seeing more of that around in this area? Or is it just, or that that's always been a thing. It's just, we're now being able to realize what it is. No, it's always been a thing, especially because, you know, 20 years ago, training was punishment expression. Um, But I just don't think that we humanized our dogs as much at that point. So it was kind of like, yeah, I can do what I want with my dog. It doesn't matter. And again, most of those dogs, um, you know, now that we're bigger on rescue and we're bigger on poor, poor, poor breeding where those dogs might be born without good communication skills and poor genetics and and all that. Um, You know, we had better bred dogs back then. It just was. Yeah. And most of them probably could withstand the punishment. Um, You know, but again, we just, we didn't humanize our dogs as much. We didn't, we didn't take the the care and the time and and all that that we do now. Um, I mean, I remember having a conversation with my mom a few months ago and she was like, because I, I had taken one of my dogs to get a dental and she's like, dentals were not a thing, you know, back then. Right. And she's like, I don't know if we just didn't, didn't care. care or she's like, but I don't ever remember a vet saying like, yeah, we need to give your You're dog a dental. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah, no, mine just was a routine cleaning and maybe one extraction that didn't end up being extractive. But she's like, yeah, I just don't ever. And she's like, we would have done whatever for our dogs, but we just don't remember that that ever needed to happen. All right. So to wrap up this this part of the conversation, you brought up something um, about dogs in mills and not, you know, learning skills, social skills. So there are dogs that might have never even learned how to talk to other dogs with body language and they're just really bad at it. Are there certain breeds that are tougher for us to see signals and for even other dogs to to pick up on whatever they're doing? Yeah. Um, and again, it, a lot of, you know, what you said about the breeds some dogs that don't fit into these breed characteristics necessarily just never learned. Um, whether they weren't socialized as a puppy or genetically, they just aren't good at body language. Um, you know, and I can't say what happened to my, my fearful one again, but, um, she's really good at the communication part of body language. She's awful at reading other dogs, Got it. which is very interesting because again, she's super clear to people, to dogs, you know, but as soon as somebody else gives her a signal, she's like, Meh, yeah. whatever. <laughs> and I'm like, Sasha, this is why you get bit so often. Yeah, like, yeah. Stop doing that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like um, our huskies can be harder to read. You know, the blue eyes, they kind of always have a hard stare. They can be a little harder they do. to they read. They're, they're harder, yeah, they're harder for people angry. to read. Um, so I imagine, you know, they're, they're harder for dogs to read. Um, you know, dogs with standing up ears can be a little tricky for other dogs. Um, the dogs with like curly tails, that yeah. can be hard for, for dogs to understand. Um, yeah. Dogs so with you short think, tails that like the stubs where you're just like, I don't yeah, know what you're doing. But the thing that kind of goes back to, you know, wrapping this whole thing up is we have to look at the dog as a whole, just because the dog's lip licking doesn't mean it's super stressed out. I mean, yeah, probably, but you know, we want to look at the hole. We want to look at the hackles. We want to look at what the tail's doing. We want to look at the ear position. And painting. the context of the situation yeah. that you're in, too. Yeah. Like where you are, what you're doing, what's happening. Well, and like the play it. bow, everybody's like, oh, it's play bowing. It's happy. I'm like, well, there's also a prey bow, which is a totally different thing. What's a prey bow? Um, basically exactly how it sounds. It's, it's an aggressive gesture. 
Um, and then we've got, you know, oh, their tail's <laughs> wagging. It's happy. Well, where, where is their tail? How fast is it going? Right. How slow is it going? Right. You know, is their tail wagging between their legs? Like right now, Milo, Milo's, t- <laughs> yeah, Milo's tail is kind of going in a helicopter, which yeah. is good, you know. Um, <laughs> and climbing all over you. We call the kind of the I'm over aroused and I'm about to, um, uh-oh. And Milo just took away the microphone. <laughs> He's having a good time. <laughs> So the um, the overaroused scorpion tail that's always um, an interesting one. That's a, a good one that Chunk likes to give off pretty often. Um, is the scorpion tail, which is the literally how it sounds. It's straight up over the back, curved over the back, and it's usually high and quick flagging. Got it. Milo, what's <laughs> happening here? I really don't want your booty in my face. <laughs> The dogs always seem to do that. They always seem to stick their booties in everybody's faces. I don't know what the deal is with Just that. Just rub that. That's right. <laughs> So now I want to bring in Carrie Birchfield with Safe Humane. Hi, Carrie. Hi. So what is Safe Humane and how long have you been part of it and what's its purpose? Okay, so Safe Humane is a nonprofit organization um, and its its primary mission is to create safe and humane communities by inspiring positive relationships between people and animals. Uh, We have a variety of programs that I'll talk about in turn. Um, One of the first programs that we started because part of the emphasis of Safe Humane is breaking the cycle of violence um, between people and animals and recognizing that that animal abuse can lead to interpersonal violence. Um, We got involved with the criminal justice system and one of our first programs was called the court case dog program. So how hard was that to even attempt to start that, to even like get your foot in the door? It, I wasn't there. So this was all um, Cynthia Bathurst, who's, who is the executive director. It was her, along with the director of behavior and training of Safe Humane, Janice Tripto, who were called into Chicago Animal Control one evening to help evaluate a dog that had come in as part of a court case. He had been in the shelter for almost two years without ever leaving his cage. Wow. He was, uh, he belonged to a homeless man who I believe had some mental health issues. And um, because of his status, his court case dragged on and on and on. Uh, and his dog was, was part of the court case and so was held at the shelter. When Cynthia and Janice went to evaluate him, they couldn't even get near him um, and could barely even handle him long enough to humanely euthanize him, which was the only humane thing to do at this point. He had just gone crazy. Wow. Um, and they named, they named him Francis and really dedicated, uh, dedicated themselves to never letting that happen again. And so along with an, another early version of Safe Humane Chicago called the Dog Advisory Work Group and the Court Advocate Program, um, there were people already in place, volunteers for Safe Humane, who were going to court cases to advocate for dogs and other animals caught up in the criminal justice system. But it wasn't until Francis that Safe Humane really decided that there needed to be a program by which Safe Humane could take on the responsibility of 
training and socializing these dogs and helping to get them out of the court case system and into rescue. And since we started, we've rescued well over a thousand court case dogs. The, the euthanasia rate when the program first started um, for, for dogs that were in the criminal justice system was I think upwards of um, 80 to 90%. And now um, our court case dog euthanasia rate is incredibly low. Um, so it's been, um, it's one of the first programs of its kind. And I think it really helped to create momentum for Safe Humane to start exploring what else they could do to help people and animals at this nexus of violence, neglect, under-resourced communities. And that's where I came in um, and where my interest was. When I first learned about them in um, 2009, I was living near Chicago um, and I was preparing for a sabbatical. Most of my research as a criminologist was about community um, crime prevention and what local communities can do to make themselves safer. And so when I heard about this program, I saw an article in the Tribune. And uh, when I realized that they were really trying to help uh, under-resourced communities and um, help the individuals and the animals living there, I thought, you know, this is perfect. Sign me up. And so I signed up as a volunteer, very quickly got involved with the court case dog program. And uh, with Cynthia Bathurst, the executive director, was able to obtain some data from the Chicago Police Department to explore the problem of animal crime. And it all just kind of blew up from there. Um, I started volunteering at the Illinois Youth Center in Chicago uh, with one of our other Safe Humane programs. So really the two primary areas of focus right now are the court case dogs and lifetime bonds. And the lifetime bonds program started at the Illinois Youth Center in Chicago. It's a 10-week program where we bring shelter dogs to um, people who have been impacted by violence, trauma, incarceration. In this case, we were bringing them to the youth center and helping the young men develop compassion, empathy, self-esteem, confidence as they train and socialize these dogs. And so it's really about at-risk populations helping each other. The, the the young men help the dogs and the dogs help the young men. And again, that, you know, Safe Humane really is about partnerships and connections. And that uh, is exemplified in, in lifetime bonds. And I was really lucky when I moved out to Kane County and started uh, the lifetime bonds program out here that I connected with Allie Evanson, who herself has a court case dog. So I mean, she could maybe talk a little bit more about how she learned about the court case dog program. But now, you know, she's been with the program in Kane County for the last two years. And her dog, Chunk, has, you know, it's kind of like our Lifetime Bonds Kane County ambassador dog. And it's just great that Chunk is also a court case dog. Before Allie explains, talks into that, was Lifetime Bonds an original part of Safe Humane? Or how did that come about to start working with dogs and, and the inmates? Yeah, so it, there are many programs like this around the country now. Um, Lifetime Bonds was one of the first, and and again, it was it was slightly before my time. So I believe it started at the youth center in two thousand 
nine and I got involved in early 2010. Um, but it was really, I think, the brainchild of a Cynthia and uh, a woman named Linda Stein and, uh, and Janice and uh, the Illinois Department of Juvenile Justice who oversees IYC um, has been really instrumental in helping the program to, you know, supporting the program and helping it to grow. I'm not sure who originally reached out to whom, but uh, I think it was just part of Safety Maine's mission from the beginning was about identifying populations in need. And also at the time, one of the missions, or I don't want to say mission, but one of the objectives of Safe Humane was to try to address the problems of dogfighting in urban communities. Uh, this is, you know, coming on the heels of the Michael Vick case and uh, Best Friends Animal Society, who took in a lot of the, the Vick dogs, also was an original uh, supporter of Safe Humane. And so that was one of the goals was to, you know, try to reach primarily young men because they typically tend to be the ones involved in dog fighting. And by working with dogs that are at risk, like shelter dogs, showing these young men the power of compassion and the positive side of the human-animal bond. So, you know, one of the things we like to do in Lifetime Bonds, and I know Allie and I were talking about this just this morning, is to show these young men that you can train a dog through positive reinforcement training and really develop social bond with that dog. Obviously, you just can't get when you're training a dog to fight. So we wanted to give these young men alternatives to fighting, you know, that you can join competitions for agility, for dock diving. You know, why would you want to fight an animal that really just wants to be your best friend? And especially when you're probably living in circumstances where you don't have a lot of friends, I think the idea was let's help these two populations help each other. Is that what makes Lifetime Bonds different than other programs around the country? I think so. Yeah, I think that one of the things that I, I know I'm really trying to do with Lifetime Bonds with the support of Cynthia, the other people who run Lifetime Bonds, we currently have three Lifetime Bonds programs plus another program that's very similar where we work with uh, young people from the YMCA in their youth safety and violence prevention program. One of the things that I'm really interested in is not just looking at the outcomes of our programs. So for example, when we first started Lifetime Bonds at the Youth Center, I think the emphasis was on how do these programs help to reduce recidivism among this population? You know, if they go through the program, are they less likely to come back? The sad fact is, is that most people who go to prison come back. And a lot of young men who are incarcerated at a young age will, will, will likely recidivate at some point. So rather than focus on just what's the end goal, I really want to try to understand the process, what exactly is working in the program. So we have, we've added some components to it. We're trying to get some um, permissions to collect data. We've started collecting data at the jail. It's a little trickier at the youth center because they're under 18. I s hypothesize that the program is important because it helps to build uh, protective factors like self-esteem, self-efficacy, and empathy. We just, most of these programs that are in place around the country just haven't been able to do a really good systematic 
measurement of those mechanisms. So Allie, do you want to explain your experience with Safe Humane? Yeah. So um, like Carrie said, I joined about two years ago. I joined first as a facilitator, which is one of the people that doesn't um, doesn't handle the, the dogs but um, and doesn't bring their own dog, but instead kind of keeps the conversations going with the boys. And then after I think probably one or two sessions, I decided to get my court case dog evaluated because she was finally ready and, and had worked through some of her, her behavior sensitivities. Um, so we got her evaluated, she passed, and then I started bringing her to the Lifetime Bonds program. I can't remember for sure, but I think we were still uh, with boys on probation. We were in South Elgin at that point. Um, and then we shortly after that moved to IYC in St. Charles. She started coming with me where I took over the training section of it. Um, and then now we are just on our first round in the King County Jail. So is the Kane County Jail, that's adults yes. who are incarcerated? Yes, we okay. are working with women primarily right now, but I think we're hoping to expand the program to the men as well um, at some point. And how I got involved with Safe Humane, um, I had known about them, um, obviously, because I was involved heavily in rescue, but Chunk was, I believe, my first court case dog that I fostered. Um, so I took her in and uh, basically when I met her, I was like, yeah, okay, I'm adopting this dog. Um, and I did. And um, ever since then, I've, you know, followed court case dogs and wanted to be more involved with, with Safe Humane. And that was the easiest program I could do instead of driving into the city and, and helping out there. So for Carrie or Allie, working with the kids or and now the adults, what kind of changes do you see, whether it's the dogs, it's the people, both? I mean, I definitely find it's both, especially, you know, with the, the women that we're working with now, um, you know, they're, they're being able to connect with the dogs, especially because a lot of the shelter dogs we've had at least this round have been repeating um, because they haven't been adopted yet. So we didn't bring that point up. Are all the dogs that participate in, in this program all shelter dogs? Yes, they're from um, Aurora Animal Control. So, so nobody brings in their personal dogs to work with Chunk them. Chunk comes the very, very first session just to kind of show what we're going to be doing um, throughout the 10 weeks and uh, get them kind of hyped up on some of the tricks that they can teach dogs. Then we bring in the shelter dogs the remaining nine weeks and work us, you know, work with basics a lot, um, especially if it's a dog that's new that week. Um, if a dog is stressed out, we will just kind of hang out with them and feed them treats and build positive associations. Um, but we'll start with things like the hand target and name recognition and, and just some easy stuff. That's so kind of cool because like both dog and person are both learning yep. new stuff right at the same time. You're not bringing in a trained dog that knows what to do. Yep. So it's kind of cool. You're we're both building that relationship together. Yep. Yep. And I also want to, I, I can't overstate how uh, it, it's not just I mean the dog and the participant benefit but one of the things I've been really impressed with too uh, is I feel like even the volunteers get better as dog handlers they get better as trainers um, it also is just so important to build connections you know we have we are so lucky to have so many really dedicated and thoughtful and committed volunteers that not only give their time, you know, to come to the program, but just them now knowing about Aurora Animal Control, Aurora, knowing about the dogs that are available here and, you know, sharing them on their social media. 
it just, you know, that you can't overstate those kinds of, of relationships that are being formed. So if someone wanted to be a volunteer, what does that entail? Not necessarily the process of being a volunteer, but if they become a volunteer, what is expected of them for anybody that would volunteer? So um, like Ali was saying, we currently in Kane County have two programs. So we have the Illinois Youth Center at St. Charles, which is every Sunday for 10 weeks from 4 to 6 p.m. roughly. And then we have the new Kane County Jail program. We're just finishing our first session, and that's on Wednesdays at 8.30 a.m. Um, they would contact me and, you know, if they fill out the application. But what we, what we expect of them is commitment for as many of the 10 weeks as they can commit to um, because the, the young men and the, and the women too, I think really appreciate that the volunteers are there every week and are committed to them. If they're a facilitator, like Ali was saying, they're there to assist with the interactions between the, the program participant and the dog. We always want the dog to have a handler and the handler to really just be able to focus on the dog. So um, essentially in the, in the youth center program, there are two types of volunteers. There's a dog handler and there's a facilitator. And um, so the dog handler just needs to be aware of our handling techniques. We are all positive reinforcement. We use clickers unless the dogs aren't comfortable with them. Um, we don't use any force. We don't use any, you know, aversive of any kind. That's, that's a big part of our philosophy. Um, and then if you're a facilitator, you just have to be comfortable, you know, talking with the young men and kind of helping them understand what they're doing. Um, some of the young men, you know, they're, they're teenage boys, so they can be a little, you know, kind of think they know everything. So it helps to just have a little patience in dealing with that. And then in the, the, the jail program is a little different. Because those are adults, we have all of our volunteers in that program are handling a dog. So there's fewer volunteers, um, but the, the women, you know, have been so good that uh, they don't need, you know, the extra facilitator. So it's really just Allie as the trainer and then our dog handlers and then the women who are participating. So for the inmates that are part of this program, do they have to fit a certain criteria to even be able to do this? Yes, from what I understand, um, at least this first session, they worked with the mental health counselors at the jail to identify uh, women that you know they thought would, would benefit from it. And then as Allie was saying, uh, just today we were talking about you know the next session, and I think the coordinator at the jail was saying he was going to send out kind of in a, a recruitment email to see who might be interested. And he said he already expected that everybody wants to be a part of it. I think that, you know, in, in conclusion, I'm just really, I feel really fortunate that Safe Humane is expanding its reach, that um, we're able to uh, do some work out here in Kane County, that I'm able, through my position as a criminologist and a, a social scientist, to begin to try to collect some data on these programs because we see, we see that they work. We see that they have an impact. We see uh, increased confidence in the participants. 
um, increased understanding of breeds that they maybe haven't been exposed to before, um, increased patience for sure. Um, not just, you know, with the dogs, but just, but with other people too. Um, there really is this amazing connection between what they're doing with the dogs and then how that affects their relationships with others. And there's so much science now about the power of the, the human canine bond. And so it's just, it's wonderful to be able to, to see that in action and, um, and, and know that, and know that it, it works scientifically. It helps people in all kinds of ways. So it's just really such a gift. That's awesome, Carrie. It sounds like a fantastic program. And we're going to put it in our show notes about how to contact um, uh, Safe Humane to become part of the program if anybody wants to volunteer. And we'll try to spread the word for you. All right, Ellie, so let's get to our Ask a Trainer segment, which is about chewing and, and not just normal chewing on bones, but chewing on table legs, chewing on, like my dog this morning was chewing on a door frame. Um, someone on Facebook posted that their dog was chewing their clothes. What, are, what can that chewing be? What's causing that chewing? And then, because I think there's stress and then there's just that it's enjoyable to do, right? There's a, there's a, there's, it's a big range of what it could be. And then what are some ways to try to curtail some of that chewing if it's just, I guess, for if there's stress and for each, for each end of the spectrum, you know, how do we, how can someone, what are some tools? Yeah. Um, so first we have to evaluate the age of the dog. Um, if it's a puppy, they are going to be gnawing on everything. Um, you know, redirection is best. Get them engaged with something else um, so that it doesn't become a learned behavior. Um, but part of what goes into if I have an adult dog that's chewing on something, it could be that they learned that it was okay as a puppy because they were never redirected to the right things. Um, you know, I always get emails from clients that say my dog's chewing on things that they know they shouldn't or they shouldn't have that. And your dog has no idea. They're just like, oh, okay, here's this, you know, sweatshirt that I'm going to haul out into the living room and chew up. They don't know that they shouldn't have it. They don't know it's not theirs. And I know people will say, but my dog looks guilty. <laughs> and in reality, that's just an appeasement to try. They mm -hmm. can tell it by your body language that you're angry. Correct. But it doesn't correct. mean that they know exactly. They don't. They don't feel guilty about what they're doing. They're just looking at you and like, oh, no, he's angry. I need to do what I can. Well, they're reading your body language. Yeah. And back to our body language section, they're yeah. giving appeasement gestures. And they're just like, whoa, I don't know why you're mad. But yeah, I'm going to look guilty. Here's the paw so, lift and the head turn. Yeah. So you can. So you calm down. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. You know, they're trying to de-escalate the situation. Exactly. Anyway, exactly. Continue. Um, so, yeah, I mean, your dog does not know that your stuff is not his stuff. Um, if it's there and he has access to it he can chew on it. So one of the big things that goes into chewing is management. Don't let your dog get things that they shouldn't have. Obviously accidents happen. So when that happens, you know, we want to teach a good drop it. Um, but looking at the roots of why the behavior happens, um, boredom and stress is probably the most common cause. Um, learned history again goes into it. But um, generally, I'm looking at increasing our mental stimulation in dogs that are chewing on things that they shouldn't be. And as I air quote, yeah. because a tired dog is a good dog. 
a tired dog is a not stressed out dog. You know, we do have to look into, are they being destructive because they have clinical separation anxiety? I actually um, am reading a book on separation anxiety right now. And this obviously is a way bigger topic, but think about, is something happening at a certain point in day that stresses your dog out and sends them into that frenzy that they're chewing? Which it could be even just the alarm clock going off yeah. could start the whole thing. Yeah, like you don't, you know, it's like simple. You walking to the bathroom or taking a shower could even be what starts the, the separation anxiety. Yeah. It could be like, well, it might not even be separation anxiety yeah. because part of um, what I'm reading in the book is that it's really hard to diagnose clinical separation anxiety unless we have a camera on the dog and, and we know because again, they could start that salivating at 4.30 every day because a plane flies over really low every day at 4.30 and it really stresses that dog out. And that's why they go in the frenzy, not because you're gone. Yeah. So you could be watching your camera all day and fine, fine, fine. And then all of a sudden 4.30 happens and you're not going to see that on the camera. You're just going to see the dog that starts panicking. But if you stay home and all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, Maybe this is it. This happens every day at 4.30. Maybe that's why the dog's breaking out because the dog's probably going to do it when you're home, but maybe less so because you're home. So, you know, again, mostly we're looking at stress and boredom. Um, We want to redirect them to something that they can chew on, something constructive. Um, I'm always looking at preemptively making sure that my dog is entertained. My dog, Chunk, whenever my laptop comes out, she's like, Hey, I'm going to grab the corner of your laptop and try to pull it off your lap. And I'm going to, you know, lay on your lap and I'm going to walk around and pace and do all these things. And now I figured out, do a training session with her before that happens. So if your dog is doing chewing for attention, because generally what happens when our dogs start chewing on something they shouldn't, what do we do? We go give it attention. That's right. And they learn that works for them. So again, back to the learned history. They're learning this what works. I grab this object that I'm not supposed to have, again in air quotes, and mom or dad comes over and and either gives me treats to get it away from me or says something to me or or whatever it is, they come interact. Great. That worked. Yeah. So, you know. It's yeah. kind of like our name of our podcast, Who's Training Who? <laughs> yeah. you know, like, Stress, boredom, and, and learn yeah. history are, are going to be our, our most common things. And that's the end of our show. Thanks to Carrie for talking about Safe Humane. We have put more information in the show notes section if you're interested in learning more. If you are enjoying what you are hearing, please subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. If you want to ask us questions, give us a topic idea, or ask Allie an Ask a Trainer question, email us at info at Thanks for listening to Who's Training Who.